Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is your moment. Your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Behind the Bastards, the drive time radio podcast that gets you to your work rocking with all, all our old friends, Hitler and Reinhard Heydrich, all the boys. Hell yeah. Hitler and his friends. Hitler and his friends. Wow. <laughs> so, everybody, this is Robert <laughs> Evans with my with my guest for today this week, Matt Lieb, What's who up? has Matt has one of those boxes that radio DJs have that makes sounds on demand. And Hell yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to be a nightmare for all of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited. It's the only way you can actually inject levity into yeah. uh, Nazi atrocities is the mm-hmm. occasional air horn, some air horns, the, you know, and then some cool funky beats. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of couple of pops. Yeah. Oh couple my god. Pops, a few stings in there, man. Honestly, I've always said behind the bastards needs to be more like a of a morning zoo feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we we could we we could get like a deep fake of L. Ron Hubbard to like come in and be a guest every now and again and talk about <laughs> how to kidnap his baby the best. Uh, Welcome to Boner and the Nard. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> 
Today we're now, talking about Reinhard Heydrich. More like Reinhard Heydrich. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Incredible. I'm pissed. This is Incredible. Horrible. Sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> We've really. Really, all the goodwill that we've built up for years of carefully doing this podcast shattered in a second. Gone yep. because of my new equipment, dude. I, it, this this came with it. I, yeah. I don't understand. I don't need it. It no. just was this like, is, oh, here's a pad for it, sounds. It, it, and I was like, like okay. when you hear about like people's who being introduced to the global economy, having uh-huh. like not ever been brought in before and suddenly shit like Coca-Cola comes to them. And yeah. They, like the, it, at no point have their ancestors ever processed that amount of sugar. Right. And it's, it causes serious health problems. That's what's happening to me with mm-hmm. access to this device that you now have. <laughs> yes, it's, exactly. I am, I am going to destroy myself and my show. Yes, um, yes. I am but, someone liberated liberated from a work camp who mm-hmm. gets a Hershey bar and Yeah, dies. exactly. It's, it's just too much. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, Oh, boy. So Fun times. we should probably start this episode by talking about what it means to be a hunter or a poacher, right? In Nazi Germany. what? Because what, yeah. it's not as simple as you'd think, right? Poaching is a serious crime. A lot of the laws that people are getting arrested under date back to the days when the Kaiser and other nobles are like the only people who are allowed to hunt or at least allowed to hunt in certain areas. Oh. And right, because you've got like a king and you've got dukes and it's like, well, these are the nice deer and only they may hunt them. And, uh, you know, or in this woods, all of the game belonged to this noble family. I was wondering, I was like, I, I yeah. thought it was weird. I was like, poachers, it, was it illegal? to well, it's, hunt all, certain like, game? It always is, right? Because yeah. you don't want, number one, the Nazis, it, it must be said, were kind of ahead of the curve when it came to like attitudes towards animal welfare and true. environmental preservation. Yeah. Um, so there yeah. is some, some of this is that like they have laws because it's like, well, we don't want to do damage to this ecosystem. But one I, of the most great of paradoxes it, of Nazism yeah. is like when Hitler is like, I'm a vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, God, what? I, I dislike harming of animals. Yes. Um, no, not it's a, a pretty little, kitty. Yeah. So some of it does come from just the fact that Hitler is kind of a guy who likes animals. And some of it comes from a lot of it. Most of it comes from just like there have always been these laws because in all of Europe, it's been heavily restricted who gets to hunt where. Right. This is a bigger subject. But hunting is like it's a thing in Europe in a way it's not in the United States, because among other things, a lot of stuff like who gets to have weapons is wrapped up in who gets to go hunting and like a lot of different kind of game. Number one, because of how much longer there's been sort of settled societies in Europe uh, and they were never and because they're as bad at environmental regulation as white people tend to be. They Mm -hmm. wiped out a lot of like the big game species. So there was kind of a need. Anyway, there's a lot of rules here. So number one, poaching is something that it is easy to be a poacher and that what you can hunt and win is heavily regulated. But but the other thing that's going on here is that even though poaching is punished severely and Hitler himself hates the idea of hunting for meat, hunters have a deep like almost religious spiritual sort of place in German folklore right mm. the the concept of a hunter is something that is is venerated think about like at least a couple of times in those fucking hansel and gretel ass stories where like the guy who comes and saves the day is some like hunter who's just like right through the woods right like yeah. it's a thing you know um and it's a thing in part because like germans have a lot of german history is like rap and german like pride is wrapped up in you know their their early history when they were fighting the romans and like they're these kind of woods people who are, yeah. who are live in the dark forests. their national folk 
folk hero myths that they yeah, a lot of them are embody. like exactly. So a lot of Nazi propaganda is focused on people need to return to nature, need to get back to the mm-hmm. woods, they need to hike into camp, and of course they need to hunt. Right? That is as much as Hitler doesn't like it, a lot of Nazis and a lot of Nazi <laughs> propaganda still does venerate hunters. <laughs> Hitler not liking it. <laughs> I do not like. Don't kill for meat. If you're gonna oh. kill, kill for hate. <laughs> yeah, this job has me making such moral compromises. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. They killed um, a stag right near where I gassed the Jews. It was horrible. Can't you believe it? Put his head up on the wall. Now, so we, we see shades of this in modern right-wing propaganda, right? Like every, if you're going to be like a right-wing shithead Trumpy political candidate, you're going to pose with a gun shooting something, right? right? Some yeah. of those guys are actual hunters. Neo-Nazi fucking Paul Nealon is a hunter in a scary asshole um mm-hmm. but a lot of them are just like dr oz where it's like yeah put me with a shotgun next to some ducks like right. yeah. people need to see that i'm a real man yes um, yeah. and it's a bit like that with the nazis you definitely have some degree to which this is like showy but some of the nazi high command are big hunting nerds uh, i think it's Goering. Ger- 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 is huge into hunting and mm. i believe himmler is as well it was either him himmler or goebbels i actually forgot to double check but one of the two of the other big guys was um was also a big hunting nerd and they have like very nice hunting lodges Gehring builds this palace for himself named after his dead wife Karen Hall that's just for him to go shoot things while the war is going badly <laughs> um bring so me a dog <laughs> there, there are a lot of like there there is Nazis are kind of as much as Hitler doesn't like it attributing some sort of magical skill to the idea of being a hunter and right. poachers even though it's illegal, poachers are seen as generally the very best hunters, right? Because not only are they tracking and killing animals, but they're doing it while avoiding the law, right? Right, um, right. So you have to be pretty good at hunting to be yeah, a successful yeah, poacher. Yeah. You're hunting um, while being hunted. Exactly. So that that there is like a respect, even as much as the Nazis are big law and order guys, there's a respect for what it means to be a poacher. So it's it's both this like these guys are criminals and thus we don't want to associate too closely with them. And also these guys have some sort of primal skill that we venerate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when the Nazis decide that they're going to form a military unit of caught and sentenced poachers, they think they're making like, uh, this is obviously is a is a considered military decision. It does make sense, right? If you were planning a counterinsurgent campaign, this might be a thing you would do because it, it it does make sense. But they're also doing something a little bit more esoteric. The mystical qualities attributed to hunters by German mythology include an understanding of the wild as something powerful, spiritual, and valuable, but by necessity controlled. And there's, mm. there's this idea that some men are wild men and poachers are among them. Durlwanger is a wild man. And you can't let these people run freely in your society because like they'll fuck it up. They're too, they're, they bring too much chaos. Yeah, but yeah. they also, they're manly, they're powerful and they're necessary in some places. So there's a, there's a place for wildness. There's a place where it's necessary. And as the Nazis gear up to ethnically cleanse Poland and the East, one of the things that is like makes immediate sense to these guys is like, well, this is where this is a place where wildness is needed. Right. right? Yeah. This, we need this some is a sociopaths. place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need some fucking lunatics out yeah. here. Um, and yeah, I'm going to quote again from Christian Ingrau 
Quote, the image of the hunter, like that of his different quarries, corresponds, according to Bertrand Hell, to a European imagination of black blood, which defines the exact distance from the wild to these societies, and, by a discourse interpreting hunters' behavior, inserts them in social organization and integrates therein the savagery and violence of that image. Now, black blood, meaning yeah. like these people have animal blood inside exactly. of them. Exactly. Yeah, there's something inherently wild about them that we have to harness, right? And <sighs> if you want to read Christian's book, which I do recommend, he goes into a lot of detail about what this means, kind of the esoteric history. I don't understand all of this. I'm going to tell you that right now. Yeah. I, I am not an expert on European folklore, and this is an academic text. Christian is a little bit wonkier than I entirely get. But what I do stand understand is that he's saying the Nazis venerate wildness thus is the a, a term you will hear a lot in speeches that like Hitler and Himmler and Goering make is hardness right you, we want to make young men hard so that they can do the things that are going to need to be done in the east and this yeah, is I love to by make the way, young men hard it is it is very funny we can make all the dick jokes we <laughs> so, want but, I'm sorry <laughs> um, this is you can see this as part of the evidence for the intentionalist sort of fact it kind of does fit either because what you're seeing here is that when you're when you're specifically saying we need to make the new generation of men tough and not care about hurting people right and and able to kind of go wild because we're about to take over a space that we need them to go wild in in order to tame it right um that is preparation for a genocide now not in the sense that i think is easy to recognize in court papers but like sure that's part of it right the yeah. the deliberate inculcation of these virtues of hardness and wildness in young men in the reich is part of why the genocide happens. It's 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 a it's as necessary as stockpiling the munitions, right? Sure. Because most people can't just go shoot thirty thousand folks in a day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like even most assholes can't do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Take mm -hmm. your biggest American dipshit, and he's not getting those yeah. kind of numbers. No. No. Um. So the reason Durlwanger and these poachers are being formed into an anti-partisan unit, in addition to the stuff that just makes sense militarily, there's an understanding by the Nazi brass that these guys are going to be good at harnessing the savagery of the wild against civilian populations, and that maybe a little bit of that wildness will rub off on the other soldiers, and that's kind of what they think they know they're going to need. Uh, it's so, it's, the insane thing about it, too, is that it is... Number one, they don't have black blood or whatever the fuck. These guys are literally just sociopaths. These guys, yeah. they're finding the most monstrous fucking like, I mean, this would be equivalent to like guys drinking four loco and people going, those guys are wild, man. Well, those guys, are, yeah, they're really hard, man. Animal blood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, yeah, just the biggest assholes in the world. And they're just attributing some sort of like, I don't know, fucking spiritual, yeah. animalistic fucking, ugh. Yeah. None of what I'm saying or what Christian is saying is that like that this is a lot a completely logical thing. It's just no, there's of roots. Course. There's folklore roots because the German the Nazis are big into that sort of stuff that go deeper than just like we need some poachers, right? Right. There is a lot going on here, and it is it is meaningful to understand that. Again, Ingrau's book goes into more detail. I'm not going to claim to entirely understand the arguments that he's mm -hmm. making there beyond what I have related to you because it is more complex than that. But mm -hmm. you can read that on your own if you're real into fucking. European folklore and hunting. 
Um, so this takes us back to the discourse, though, that opened the episode about intentionalists versus functionalists. Durrell and his men are about to kill tens of thousands of civilians, mostly women and children, in the most brutal ways conceivable. Most of these specific killings are not ordered by Hitler or by anyone else in high command directly. Rather, Durrell unit is formed with the understanding that he and his men will interpret their job, which is anti-partisan activity, to include just killing everybody in certain areas, right? Yeah. And not only that, but that they will develop techniques to do that, that will be replicable by the rest of the German military. Right. So obviously there are specific direct orders behind a number of their massacres, but usually said orders are less specific than you'd imagine. And this is not just a thing the Germans did when they were committing war crimes. This is part of their battle theory. There's a thing they have developed in the, at the end of World War I called Auftragstaktik, which venerates individual initiative and leaves solutions to problems open to field commanders, right? Mm. German soldiers up through World War II are much less hampered by like they're much less chain of command exactly it's more or less like no no you're in charge of this unit of guys we need you here by this date however you do that's up to you i'm not going to micromanage you and that's part of how like you get stories about like rommel being like a hundred miles ahead of the rest of the army and whatnot because they're this is like a thing that the german military specifically tries to inculcate in its soldiers yeah and so even though there's not like a direct, Hitler doesn't send out a memo saying like, hey, have Oscar Derlwanger ethnically cleanse large parts of Poland and Belarus. He is directly orchestrating those massacres by, and, he, and Himmler and stuff, by putting this unit together and putting it in the places that it's being put, right? Right, yeah. Um, and being like, you know, uh, hey, just if you feel entrepreneurial, go for it. It's very yeah. much, uh, it's weird that the Third Reich was kind of like militarily run like a startup. Well, it, it just works like, pretty well. Yeah, we all <laughs> yeah, wear a lot a of while. hats here, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, everybody wears a lot of hats. There's a real startup culture in the <laughs> Wehrmacht. Yes, <laughs> well, there's plenty of snacks and also guns in the kitchen mm-hmm. to kill. We have back massages at every Thursday. <laughs> all the headphones you could ever want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is a bit like that. So, yes, <laughs> Nazi Germany invades September 1939. Poland. Um, this works pretty well for them. Uh, mm-hmm. They fairly rapidly achieve conquest of Poland alongside the Red Army, who are <laughs> on board for the conquest of Poland at this stage. Yeah, yeah. It Everyone must be wants said. Poland. For Everybody last... wants some Poland, right? Yeah, yeah. it's a, to a few centuries now where people uh, are just like, hey, let's get Poland every time a war happens. Yeah, I mean, outside Europe. of the Nazi stuff, Matt, if you come to me and you're like, hey, Robert, I think we got an, I think I got an idea. We could take some Poland. I'll be like, I'll hear you out. You know, yeah, I'll hear no, you out. Yeah. Right. Everyone wants a piece of Poland. A little bit of Poland. Just a right? little, Just a bit little bit. Here there. Yeah, exactly. Not trying to go wild on it. Yeah. Um, the Nazis kind of go wild on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So they they militarily, this goes pretty well for them, but they start to deal very quickly with the problem that their forces are conquering more people and coming into possession of more Jews than they had entirely been ready to handle. So mm. They've got partisans. There are partisans fighting, although it's not at its high pitch yet, right? Because Mm -hmm. everyone in Poland is still sort of dealing with the shock of being invaded. Right. Um, Real fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 come it's come along quickly. So the need to fight partisans at this period is less important than the need to reduce the number of human beings living in like the areas the Germans are trying to take over and turn into greater Germany. 
Mm. No? So Daryl Wanger gets sent with his men to Orianenburg in May of 1940, just a couple of months, like, I mean, not uh, more than a couple of months, but not all of that long after the invasion. And his job is to train the first few dozen poachers in his special unit. His men are kept in an isolated barracks, lest their wildness and criminal nature infect the other soldiers. The specific branch of the German military they were attached to would later become the Waffen SS, which is the military arm of Heinrich Himmler's Fun Club for Racists. Yeah. And I'm going to quote now from the SS Durlwanger Brigade by Ingrau. Quote, the two months of training they were given must have been limited to the rudiments of military discipline and a summary physical training, something close to the Prussian drill, but hardly going further, considering how soon they were sent into action. This training was selective enough that in the end only 55 of the 80 poachers were accepted in the commando. The others were returned progressively to their detention centers, without penalty. It was purely a question of physical acceptability. The order requesting their reintegration in prison specified that no disciplinary measures were involved. And that's interesting mm. to me, that like you get this like... Well, we don't want them to feel bad, right? We don't want like yeah. we don't want to like be dicks to them if they can. Like you just couldn't cut it, you know. It's yeah, not, there's don't nothing hurt their feelings. Don't, man, don't hurt their know? feelings as they are carrying out one of the greatest <laughs> bloodbaths in history. Well, we wouldn't want to be like unfair to these guys. Look, they're yeah. serving their time. You know, they volunteered. It's okay. Just <laughs> them not making the cut into the yeah. fucking like varsity killing <laughs> yeah. Jews team. Hitler just sits like, down next to one of these guys. Look, buddy, it's nothing against you. It's all right, you know? dude. Like, you know, same thing happened to Michael Jordan. Exactly. Exactly. He got cut from his high school Jew killing team too and look at him now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh boy. Um, so in September of 1940 the men of SS Durrowanger which is like what the unit gets called right? This is just kind of the naming schema the Germans use um, are sent to an area in Poland called Lublin. This town held an important place in Nazi race theory. One of their propagandists had in the 1930s described it as quote a bottomless well from which Jews flow to all corners of of the globe, the, sur a sor the source of the rebirth of world Jewry. <laughs> so certain Nazis are like, this is where the Jews come from. Yeah, it's yeah, their, yeah. Yeah. This is the well now, where the Jews are, are, are sprouted and then just get shot into different countries all over the world. Now, That's, look, uh, it's called Lublin, Lublin, Lublin. Now, look, okay. I know this given is where everything, you lube up the Jews and they just shoot them out into, oh man. Uh, given everything that's going on in Palestine these days, the question of like, what is a Jewish homeland made is a, a thorny one. But I think everyone can agree oh, it's yeah. not Lublin. It's definitely <laughs> it's not. It's definitely not yeah, Lublin, yeah, right? Yeah, we don't, we're not always just like, hey, did you take your, your yearly birthright trip back to <laughs> Lublin? To Lublin. <laughs> Oh, uh, yes. Next year in Lublin. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. the surrounding terrain is swampy uh, in the area. And so it was considered to be Lublin's got a large Jewish population, but it's also considered a great idea. They're going to take all of the Jewish people from the surrounding area and they're going to force them into the swamps around Poland where they're going to create concentration camps. Mm. Um, and they think this is a great idea because since it's a swamp, Swamps are bad for you as a general yeah. rule. People aren't supposed to live in swamps. And yeah. the Nazis are specifically saying that, like, if we make them all live in this swamp in, like, shitty camps, it will, quote, cause their considerable decimation. Right. This is a free way to have the environment kill a lot of them. And we don't right. have to They're spend trying money to do biological and warfare in yeah. a sense. Yeah. 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 So we have very little specific detail on what the men of the Durlwanger unit did in these first 18 months. But we do know the broad strokes, which is that they helped to set up and guard the Belzec and Majdanek 
death camps. This was accomplished in stages, which included destruction of synagogues and Talmudic academies in Lublin, as the people there were rounded up and forced behind barbed wire. One German soldier later described, quote, We threw the huge Talmudic library out of the building and carried the books to the marketplace where we set fire to them. The fire lasted 20 hours. The Lublin Jews assembled around and wept bitterly, almost silencing us with their cries. We summoned the military band, and with joyful shouts, the soldiers drowned out the sounds of Jewish cries. Jesus fucking Christ. Pretty pretty bad. Pretty fucking bad. This Mm -hmm. is, uh... uh. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. I just needed something. To <laughs> yeah, a little bit, of, a little bit of air horn there to help out. A little air horn. I mean, I, I hate to say it, Matt, but that is kind of what the Nazi we just read from did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I drowned out their cries with my cool air horn. <laughs> this is bleak. Yes. Yeah, this is very. Why are they crying so much? Bring out the air horn, bombo clot. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they know. They know about Bombaclat. Speaking of Bombaclat, you know mm-hmm. who's fucking just hella into reggae? Oh, all of the sponsors of this podcast. Oh, Sophie and yeah. I look when or or the CIA or whoever comes out and says they want to do an ad in our show. We have one question, and mm-hmm. it's: Are you fucking down? Are you a rude boy? You know, goddamn right. Goddamn yeah. right. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. 
You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Ah, we're back. Back. So, in between helping to carry out actions like the one we just read from, the horrible genocide story, and marching tens of thousands of people to the site of their eventual extermination, the Durlwanger unit got the chance to show off their special skills in counter-sniper missions, and in rounding up escaped Polish officers spotted in the area. After the war, the SS officer Berger, who's the guy who gets Durlwanger this job, right. who claim they spent most of their time in combat with early stages of the Polish resistance. This is probably a lie. As with that mm-hmm. stuff I said about counter-sniper missions, Ingrau doesn't think they're doing any fighting. Ingrau thinks they are purely, number one, rounding up Jewish civilians and like yeah. burn, burning their shit, beating them with rifle buds, forcing them into camps, and number two, stealing shit, right? Yeah. Like, that's actually what they're doing at this stage. Yeah. And I'm going to quote from his book now. Post-war testimony doesn't mention anti-partisan activity. Another very credible indicator of the total absence of danger is the fact that the unit suffered no losses. The men almost never mention tracking partisans in the forest of the demarcation zone. All, however, say that the unit spent the majority of its time on the most ordinary surveillance work. Policing the civilian populations and fighting the black market seem to have been the group's main activities. Unit reports speak regularly of the spoils seized by the men supporting the local police force. Money, consumer goods, valuables. And... A lot of this, it's we don't exactly know, but there's a lot of reports of like, yeah, we busted this Jewish community center and they had all of this coffee and meat and stuff. And maybe they just found where different members of the Jewish community were like storing their nice stuff. Or maybe they were robbing everyone blind and yeah. claiming it was the Jews so they could take some of it. And this is a thing, by the way, happens across the SS, right? Mm-hmm. There are actually major discipline problems at the death camps of like stuff being stolen from Jews by individual members of the SS because that yeah. stuff's being stolen for the Reich. And there's like disciplining over it. People get like transferred to the East to go die for it. It's like a whole thing. These guys are like pioneers in the SS stealing everything that isn't nailed down right right um i mean it's the perk of this kind of fucked up job where you're just like oh we get to we get to go in there first and kill quote partisans which are just civilians who have no idea how the hell you got in their community center yeah and then fucking stealing everything in sight yeah and we gotta you know we give a bunch of it to the government but like eh, some of that's gonna find yeah they squirrel it away some of those cigarettes are winding up in my pocket some of that meat's winding up on my table you know that's that's what they do um and obviously 
everything the Nazis are doing is gangster activity. What I said earlier in the first episode, these are webs of different gangsters, right? Right. So like the fact that these guys are stealing, the SS doesn't hate it because they're stealing. It hates it because, no, that's supposed to go somewhere else, right? Right, That's, exactly. that's going up the chain, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't consider it stealing from the, you know, civilians. Yeah. They consider it stealing from them. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, You're and like, this, hey, hey, all that stolen shit is ours, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking, yeah. Herman Goering needs that call. Coffee. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> fucking fat ass um, Martin Borman needs yeah, to have Martin, all that meat. Yeah, Martin Borman needs the prosciutto. You got to send yeah, that exactly. shit over. No, you don't get to keep that, poachers. Yeah, <laughs> go hunt something. Yeah. Um. So the entire uh, yeah again the thievery of the Durlwanger Brigade eventually grows to be too much for the occupation authorities. And I'm going to quote from a write up by Nikula Budanovic in War History Online here. Various reports stated that during this period, rape, murder, extortion, beatings, and other crime methods were employed by the members of the special Durlwanger unit. The police chief of the Lublin ghetto, Friedrich Wilhelm Kruger, was so appalled by the conduct of throat-cutting madmen that he appealed several times for them to be stopped. Instead, he was transferred to Belarus. So were the Durlwangers, after their work in Poland was done. So again, like... The the wow. guy the Nazis make head cop in the ghetto, which is not a good man, right? Yeah. You don't put a nice guy in that job. Yeah, it's I like, know we flatten it and say a cab yeah. because it's all, but also some are even more yeah. cab. Is, maybe the yeah the most cab of the all mo- of the cabs. <laughs> the most uh, cab. And this guy's like these guys are rapists. <laughs> these guys are really bad. Oh, I know man. I am preparing to exterminate all of these people. But but like we gotta, we gotta get these these cowboys out of Poland. Yeah, yeah, these guys are um, just uh, kind of going overboard with the yeah, raping and pillaging. Yeah. Um, so it was in Poland that the Durlwanger Brigade first proved itself in actual uh, anti-partisan. Oh, sorry, it's in uh, Belarus. Um, so they get they get sent to Belarus, and it's there that the Durlwanger Brigade um, proves itself in its first actual anti-partisan combat. They do well; they're good at this. Like it was actually military a decent idea to like throw these guys together and oscar is immediately like well this is a small commando unit you've seen what we can do give me another couple of hundred men and give us some guns and let's get some armored vehicles and they get them and he does this a couple of times the nazis keep reinforcing this unit with more and more guys eventually it hits brigade strength during this period um and which is like eight or nine hundred men and, and their first engagements are pretty standard, uh, but then during some, one of these actions, a squad of their soldiers is ambushed by partisans in the road, and several are killed. In reprisal, they burn down a partisan camp and a village, and it's mostly uninhabited at this point because everybody's running away, but they burn a village to the ground. And this is going to be the first of a lot of villages that they yeah. burn to the ground. From July to August of 1942, they carry out a massive anti-partisan operation. And you have to read between the lines here to find the war crime, but it's pretty clear when you go through the numbers. By the operation's end, 1,381 partisans had been killed, but only 422 weapons had been seized. Only 27 German soldiers had been killed. Yeah. One might interpret from this that they're just rounding up villages and killing everybody. Right. And, and just then they throw a gun on the partisans. Ground. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing the thing that the LAPD does, right? Where right. They just like keep yes. a gun in the boot of the car to toss at a guy, you know? Exactly. Um, this would prove to be a general trend for the unit. And I'm going to quote from Ingrau's book again. 
During these operations, according to Christian Gerlach's calculations, six to ten men were killed for every weapon recovered and confiscated. He concludes that only 15% of those killed were real members of armed resistance movements against the Germans. The victims, thus, were primarily peasants and fugitives, notably Jews escaped from the ghettos. More significant still is the amount of food among the spoils collected by the anti-partisan units. Potatoes, grain, and cattle appear regularly in the reports of the operations, transforming them, especially after the winter of 1942-43, into murderous predatory raids against the local peasantry. The balance sheet of Operation Swamp Fever, which is what they call this, sums up the situation perfectly. The Germans, by their own admission, had killed only 489 bandits in a, over a month of operation. They had, however, eliminated 8,350 Jews from the Branowitzich ghetto, as well as 1,274 suspects, and evacuated 1,217 other individuals. By evacuated, we must understand, deported for labor within the Reich. These mm. were persons fit for labor, found in the villages, while the executed suspects were either escapees killed in the forest, or those unfit for labor from the same village. Villages, women, children, and the aged. So they are going through large swaths of territory. Mm -hmm. They are rounding everybody up. They're sending the men to Germany to labor, and they're killing the women, children, and old people. That's yeah. the bulk of the anti-partisan operation they're doing here. And they, yeah. this, they are part of, and they're not the first part of, the early stages of the final solution, right? Which is camouflaged as anti-partisan activity. The SS tactic here that Durlwanger does pioneer, because they're also dealing with, because again, the, the very, like the first stages of what the Einsatzgruppen are doing is just massacring communities of people who had like lived in cities. Right. Um, there is an actual partisan movement here, right? There are Red Army partisans and stuff fighting against the Nazis. And the tactic Durlwanger develops in these areas is to create what they call death zones. These are not just zones that they're emptying of Jews, but of all of their population. Now, SS Durlwanger are not the only union involved in this, not by a long shot, but they are the guys figuring out how to depopulate large rural areas for the German military, right? That is oh. a question that is a, like, a, how are we going to do this? What is the best way to do this? And like they are in the a way that is the most out. efficient and exactly. causes the, the less, mm -hmm. uh, least amount of emotional damage to our, yeah. our people. And that is a different, we're not talking about like morally different, but that is a different thing tactically from like, we've taken the city and now we're going to round up the Jews and shoot them in a right. quarry or whatever, right? right? Like it's a different thing. It requires different tactics. Um, General von Gottberg, who is the guy who authors the original death zone orders and is in direct command of Durowanger and his men, praises Durowanger for his visionary leadership and proposes that he be given a medal after his men kill 15,000 people in 15 months of operations, Fuck losing only me. 92 of their own. Now, Ugh. the Nazis are dealing with a serious insurgency in Belarus at this point, and as you'd expect, Durlwanger is kind of seen as their best bet in solving it. One internal report on his activities read, quote, Traffic with Vilnius itself is more and more obstructed by acts of terrorism, mines, etc. To this may be added the erroneous psychological treatment of the population by units on police operations. Here the name Durlwanger plays a particularly significant role. For this man, in the war of annihilation he wages piteously against an unarmed population, deliberately refuses to consider political necessities. His methods, worthy of the Thirty Years' War, make a lie of the civil administration's assurances of their wish to work together with the Belarusian people. When women and children are shot and mass or burned alive, there is no longer a semblance of, human con of humane conduct of war. The number of villages burned during sweep operations exceeds that of those burned by the Bolsheviks. God damn. 
Yeah. That is that is a Nazi being yeah. like, these guys are out of control again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is yeah. this is a guy who is like into this already. Yeah. He's like, no, like I'm hey, I'm I believe I'm in a, this subjugation of Belarus. I love but, this usually. But yeah. some people are doing a little too much. <laughs> it is fucking wild. Yeah, it is. And again, like, I'm not going into too much detail. We will later on some of these things, but like they're not just massacring people. Like no. they don't just shoot the women who are not fit for labor. They rape them, right? Yeah. Like that's that, that's who these guys are. That's yes. what this guy was before the war started. Right. Right. Yeah. Like this is not this is torture as well as execution. They are not doing the most efficient thing. Which generally the Einsatzgruppe, at least earlier on, are just trying to efficiently massacre people with guns, right? right. There's a, there a degree of creative sadism to the way that Durlwanger behaves that is, it's not certainly not unique. You can find a lot of other Nazi <laughs> units that do it, yeah. but he is he is noteworthy for his right. dedication to it, I think. He's the Steve Jobs of he's the, finding he's the, sadistic exactly. ways. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Oscar Durlwanger gets out on the stage. Actually, <laughs> the that's... That's literally the part. So here's Oscar Derwinger in a turtleneck. Minefields. A problem since the beginning of modern warfare. You have a piece of terrain that your enemy doesn't allow your soldiers to cross because they filled it with hidden bombs. Here at Nazi Co., we figured out a solution to minefields, which is to gather up all of the women and children in the area and just walk them through it until there's no mines. And then, and here's here's what's insanely great, right? Here's the thing that's really cool. We shoot them, all the survivors. Just shoot wow. them. Wow. Mm-hmm. He's a visionary. <laughs> he is, as far as I could tell, like the guy who invents this as a cohesive tactic, right? I'm sure there's yeah. places where you can find people doing this. Durlwanger is the guy who like, write, basically writes up a guide to the German military of like, here is how you do this. You get all of the, you round these the men up from these nearby villages and you make them walk. You keep them shoulder width apart because that's the right length and you have them, this is the way in which you use civilians to clear landmines. Yeah. Um, and then you shoot them all to death. Right, uh, yeah. And, he's he's squid gaming. He's yeah. doing a proto squid game. Yeah. And it works really well. Uh and in fact, SS and Wehrmacht units across the Eastern Front are advised to adopt Durlwanger's tactics when they encounter minefields. Um because he's like it works pretty well. Um yeah, he's the Steve Jobs of genocide. <laughs> God. So Durlwanger was also praised for his ability to save on the expenditure of munitions during massacres. One way he did this was instead of Look, you've got five, six hundred people, right, from these two or three villages. You could shoot them all, and then you're out five, six hundred bullets, and those aren't right. free. Or you just force them all into barns, and you light the barns on fire. Oh, wow. See? Innovative. Right? Dude. Exactly. He really is like a startup founder. He really is a startup guy. He's We're going like to disrupt in- ethnic cleansings. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it just killed different, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Wow. Good Quote, for him. The exhumation report of the Soviet Investigating Commission mentions, besides the number of villages and the number killed in each, that neither cartridges nor projectiles were found, and it concluded that the 2,000 victims had been burned alive in barns. A witness to the massacres, Alexander Mironov, saw a man laughing throw a 14-year-old child into a bonfire. Jesus. So again, they're not just Christ. doing this like coldly because it's efficient. They're like, they're having fun with it. No, they're right? into it. This is yeah. their kink. This is their thing. This yeah. is what they live for. This is, yeah. I mean, you, you know, these fools were in fucking 
prison before for being poachers and now they're yeah. fucking yeah and they're also it has to be said all on methamphetamine right oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah that, that's yeah, not yeah, written yeah. about because it's not generally like discussed all that much but like this is the period in which an awful lot of the german army is on yes. fucking meth so they're they are drunk and on speed and this is like how they're having fun that's why I never um, fucked with meth. You know, exactly. I was like, I was strictly opiates. I was like, I don't want to fuck with yeah. meth for the same reason. I do not want to drive a VW bug. Yeah. Nazi yeah. shit. Opiates just make you like the least offensive of the Nazi high command. Exactly. Herman Goering. You know? <laughs> exactly. And look, if you have to pick one Nazi leader. If, ha- if I had to. <laughs> if gun you to gotta, my head. Yeah. <laughs> so by this point, the Durowanger Brigade has been expanded well beyond poachers. Its ranks now included disgraced SS soldiers on penal release, as well as Russian and Ukrainian auxiliaries, right? They don't have that many poachers. You know, there's not, there's yeah. only so many. This eventually gets to be like 2,000 people. So like if you're in the SS and in some cases in the Wehrmacht and you get like in trouble because you commit a series of crimes, they just send you here, right? Yeah. Um, they also, when they meet fascists who are like Russian and Ukrainian, they're like, hey, you guys want to be in the SS kind of? Yeah. And those guys are like, well, we really don't have much of a choice. Um, right. <laughs> and also, a lot of us are pieces of shit, so yes. Yeah, um, sure. And again, yeah. it is a mix of people who are just fascists who live there and also people who are like, oh, you've got food? And I get yeah. a gun? Well, I'll, I'll kill whoever. Yeah, it is, yeah, whatever you say. You don't understand yeah. how bleak life is in Western Russia in <laughs> yeah. 1942. I'll do yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah. Shit sucks now. Yeah. I will well, join your stupid look, club. Watch the movie Come and See in 20-ish years. You'll, <laughs> yeah. you'll under... By the way, Come and See is literally about this. It's about... It's set in Belarus. It is mm. It is these Nazis specifically. It's about Durlwanger and his... It's about, from the perspective of the Belarusians, those fucking guys, pretty much. Yeah. Um, um, and it is a harrowing film. Um, the only I I refuse to watch Nazi films. Uh, the only one I've seen is um, uh, an American Tale about the little Jewish mouse. You know, <laughs> that's, yes, uh, that's the only one I'll watch. Yeah. Dura Wanger's the cat. I I believe there was a yeah, Nazi cat in there, right? Definitely, he's, he's multiple cats. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a couple of them. Yeah. Um, no, Come and See is a movie that was made during the Soviet Union and is is like probably the most like visually upsetting film ever made. Mm. Um, it's it's it would be hard to beat. It, it, it's the closest you can get to actually living through like some of these experiences. It's it is fucking gnarly, and it's about this. Like if you've seen Come and See, and are still like haunted by some of those images, it's literally about this period and these guys. I mean, is it as good as that George Romero movie about motorcycles that you keep talking no, about? Nothing is as good as Knight Riders. Um, <laughs> okay. Look, if the cast of Knight Riders had been around, they would have put a stop to this. You think Ed Harris with a sword and a motorcycle is letting this shit go on? Hell no. The movie, I mean, in the first scenes of the movie, they beat up a Nazi. Like, <laughs> Sophie's just shaking her head like, not again! She's sa- shaking her head because this is she now doesn't... two weeks in a row where he yeah. cannot so not they... bring it up. This is the rest of your life now. I'm never not talking about. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I know. But but Look, that's not true because you go through phases. That's, mm. We do a... go through phases. I should talk about that a little bit later. Mm. Um, ah, we should we should discuss the child hunting island that we shouldn't be talking about anymore. Uh, we'll what? get to that in a minute. <laughs> You know what? Actually, we're at about 40 minutes. Matt. What? You ever made a joke that went too far? 
Never. Never. Not once. Okay, that's good. Well, here at Behind the Bastards, we have some running jokes. You know, everybody remembers the Doritos era fondly, Raytheon, knife missiles, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Lately, I've, I've really been enjoying a series of running jokes about having an island where rich people hunt children for sport, right? Mm. We've had a good time with those jokes. Very funny. I assumed absurd enough that nobody would take them seriously. That's one of the requirements. Now, Incorrect. Yeah. Number First one, mistake was assuming that people because, because we chose to bleep seriously. the name. And half of why we bleeped the name was because we didn't want to alienate you know, someone who might be a sponsor someday. I think the cat's sure. out of that bag. But half of it was also, just, it just was kind of funny. This mm-hmm. led to a lot of people being like, is Robert serious? Is <laughs> have a child hunting island? Is this real? And it, it was a constant thing. Um, and normally I thought it was kind of funny and generally people would get on the subreddit and be like, hey, what's going on? And other people would correct them. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Recently, more than one member of the team have gotten messages from people who are taking it very seriously. Oh, no. One person was distraught and being like, I feel like this is real and you're not like, it's not a joke. And, and you like, and the, am- all, the <laughs> amount of Reddit threads is it, deeply well, upsetting. And, and this is the Reddit threads, but those are funny. There were, there were some people I think who are maybe like having a, a tough time. Some issues. And, and yeah, took, yeah, it, yeah. took it really serious. And if you are listening, I, please, I am not joking. That, that was a, that was a gag. That was for yucks. Right. You not are a real, joking. This was a confusing does way not of have it. a yeah, child okay. hunting Island. Please do <laughs> you, not. Yes. Yeah. You are not I, joking about the fact that you are I, yeah, joking. Yeah. I, I get uh, that that's confusing. There is no child hunting island. We will not none. be doing that joke anymore. Yeah. But you know what we will be doing, Matt? What? Throwing to ads. Cool. <laughs> the evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. 
big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're back. Mm. And I hope everybody, again, very seriously, the, the there's no child hunting island. Um, anyway. Associated with specifically. Okay, Matt, I, I want to I wanna do a yes and to that, but that's what got us in this <laughs> yeah, situation. You're right, you're right, you're so right. I have to stop. Um, so by this point in the war, right, and we're talking like 1943-ish, late 1943 pretty much, um, the Durrell-Wenger Brigade has been expanded to, at, there's these disgraced soldiers, these, these auxiliaries, and they're kind of mostly used as a result. They avoid direct combat a lot because, among other things, well, there's a lot of Russians in this unit. We probably shouldn't have them fighting the Red Army. That might not go great. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, we yeah, don't know yeah. if we can trust these guys. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And one of these Russians later reported on his time with the Durrell-Wenger unit, quote, During these actions, the peaceful inhabitants of towns, villages, and hamlets were shot, burned alive, hanged. Houses, schools, hospitals, clubs, churches, and other public buildings were burned. If my memory is correct, more than 100 inhabited areas were dis- destroyed, together with their inhabitants. Now, Oscar, it must be noted, because they are fighting an actual actual insurgents during pieces of this, mm-hmm. is kind of one of the reasons that he these guys, these criminals and rapists, like, are very loyal to him, weirdly loyal, is that he's always the first guy into combat. Um, he gets wounded multiple times during this. He's right. shot I mean, he times. already has half yeah. an arm. Yeah, like, he does not give a shit about right, being shot, yeah. right? He trying to die. He trying to die. Like, he's... Yeah. The only thing Oscar Durlwanger cares about less than age of consent laws is getting shot. <laughs> yeah, um, right. <laughs> so, Do it. It'll just make me come harder. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> this earned him the adoration of his men. Um, and he also, they appreciated his openness to their suggestions on how to proceed with the war. The pattern of new tactics of cruelty originating within the unit and then spreading out to the German military in the East continued. In addition to barn burning, which gets adopted on a wide basis by the Germans, Durlwanger experimented with letting packs of starving dogs feed on the corpses of murdered women and children. He's this straight was, up Ramsey yeah. Bolton. He like, is he's Ramsey Bolton. straight up Ramsey Bolton. Yeah. He's trying to figure out the most fucked up ways to yeah. like, like destroy not just people's like lives, but their minds too. And, and some of this is like, again, there's a, it's bad and illegal, but like if you have insurgents killing everyone in the area where they are, is like a tactic for fighting them, right? Because right, if you kill everyone, there's no one to fight you. Right. Um, a lot of this, like the feasting dogs on corpses, there's no reason for this beyond he's he number one, he wants to like scare people, and number two, he's a monster. Yeah, <laughs> right? straight, it's not straight practical. Up um, and for Oscar experimentation, it, it, it's it especially in like 43, 44, it goes beyond stuff that is helpful to just like stuff a fucked up dude does because there's no one to stop him. Right. And I'm going to quote now from a Bond University thesis paper by Terrace Goldworthy. Quote, 
He made so-called scientific experiments, which involved stripping the victims of their clothes. Then they, the victims, were given an injection of strychnine. Durlwanger looked on, smoked a cigarette, as did his friends, and they saw how these girls were dying. Immediately after that, the corpses were cut into small pieces, mixed with horse meat, and boiled into soap. Fucking A. There's like no reason for this. He's just he's just being a piece of shit. Like he's just he's just trying to it's just a newer, newer soap thrill. It's like, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to minimize it, but it's like, you know, it's like when you know you need to stop with the porn hub because you're just like, what's next? Piss porn. And then you're like, am I really going to be a piss porn guy? And he's the kind of guy who was like, yes. Yeah. He is the kind of guy who goes straight to piss porn. Yeah. He Um, starts off as a piss pig. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> the primary causes of death for Daryl Wanger's men during the stage of the war, because again, most of well, they are again, there are some, they are getting into some firefights, some of which are gnarly. Most of what they're doing is just massacring, and as a result, the vast majority of men who die in his units um, either get shot by their own friends because everybody's drunk, um, or mm-hmm. they die in like car accidents because again. Everybody's drunk. Everybody's drunk. That yeah. is the primary cause of death is they're wasted in between massacres and they, yeah. they die somehow. So mm. the larger SS keeps an eager eye on their progress and on kind of some of the things they're experimenting with, even though they, they're not, they don't like them, right? Because these guys are gross. Everybody right. knows it. Like nobody wants to be these guys other than these guys. Right. And I'm going to quote from a write-up in Heinrich Himmler, A Life here. Durlwanger's leadership of the Sonderkommando was characterized by continued alcohol abuse, looting, sadistic atrocities, rape, and murder, and his mentor, Berger, tolerated this behavior, as did Himmler, who so urgently needed men such as the Sonderkommando Durlwanger in his fight against subhumanity. It was important to the Reichsfuhrer, however, that the detachments within the Sonderkommando did not belong to the Waffen-SS, but merely served it. It was not until 1945 that Durlwanger succeeded in incorporating his unit, which accepted criminals of every hue and so was growing unstoppably into the Waffen SS as the 36th Grenadier Division. Uh, so th- that guy is not with us. Okay. Yeah. Like he's with us, but he's not really with yeah, us. He's like a volunteer. Like we let him wear the uniform and stuff, but that all that weird shit, that's not us. That's not us at all. That could some, never be. Some, some of that's us. A little <laughs> bit of it is us. A tiny, <laughs> tiny bit. But mostly it's, I don't know about that. These guys are fucked up. (laughs) Should someone call HR? (laughs) I mean, it is one of the the stories that people will tell about Himmler that is people take different things out of it. But there's a period at which he visits one of the death camps. I think it might have been Auschwitz. And he like passes out when he's like watching the the shit right (laughs) and some people take it as like oh he was like what a weak man he couldn't handle it that's not how his guys would have interpreted it because most Mm. of them are not like even most of the people committing the genocide are not like eager to physically do it they see it as like this is a nasty terrible job and we're taking this burden upon and that's how they talk about it to themselves that's what hardness means it doesn't mean like violent sadism that's not what it's supposed to mean it means you're cold enough that like you understand this has to be done and like the fact that he would pass out that just actually means that he's he's a decent man who just has to do this terrible task to protect the right <laughs> what right? a good guy what man. a good guy oh um, i hope like i hope all of his men cradled that cradled him in in their arms and just like it's okay baby it's I know. okay I'm it's fine yeah Heinrich, um, please we'll and, stop and, crying and, and that's part of why part of why the ss and why guys like himmler 
even though they need the Duralwanger Brigade, find them so off-putting and disgusting is that like they're taking full ownership of the kind of things that these guys are making happen, but don't mm-hmm. want to don't want to have as a part of them, right? Right. Heinrich Himmler doesn't want to have like rape burning a village to death on his soul. Mm-hmm. He wants it done. He needs it done. He'll make sure it gets done, but he doesn't, that's not a part of his conception of who he is. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and these <laughs> you know, guys, you know, I'm more than just death camps. It's <laughs> <laughs> more I, to me. I am also a man who likes to dress like a medieval knight in my I castle. I like to dress like a knight. I like to, you know, go to ren fairs. Mm-hmm. I feel like the problem with cancel cultures these days <laughs> is you are reduced to the worst thing you've ever done. For example, example me killing all the jews yeah i did that oh big deal okay i've also read many fine books okay? yeah and so part of like why there's that part of why these guys get reported so much by the ss is less that the ss guys who are reporting them are legitimately horrified that they're committing war crimes and more like it's not you are you are unabashedly gleeful about doing the thing that we do but pre- have to pretend exactly the pretense is gone right? and it's like you're you're making us look bad by enjoying we, this yeah you're making us feel bad because we right. don't want to be that guy right mm-hmm. when you like and again that you could make a case that these are less bad people than for example guys like the commandant of auschwitz mm-hmm. who was a loving father of i think five kids and you can find pictures of him on his vacations and playing with his children by the pool and being a wonderful dad while he is running auschwitz right um, rudolf hess i believe was his name mm-hmm. um and um oh i think it, it's hoes or whatever like because there's another guy with his yeah name, not that whatever. hess not the other guy <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i i think it, you could argue Guys like Durlwanger who are just like, yeah, man, I fucking love raping and murdering people. Yeah. This is awesome. This is p- who I am, baby. Right. Is a better person than the guy who like pretends to be the loving father while he gasses a million people. Right. Because they know right? right from wrong. They know yeah. it's bad. They know yeah. they're doing bad. And yeah. the worst part about these people is they've convinced themselves their narrative is that they are the victims. That's why they have to do this. Like, yeah. That's and how Hitler guys, phrases it. Sure. Yeah. And they take the entire narrative and throw it in the the trash when you start gleefully doing it and yeah. then what does that say about all of your beliefs and all of your crimes it says yeah. that uh you are basically that on the inside yeah there, there's no mask with the Duralwanger brigade no this mask off now as the war turns against germany these guys do find themselves thrown into actual combat more and more and the end of 1943 kind of brings an end to the good times because they don't do great in stand-up fights that's not mm. really not really yeah. they're not really what they're good at yeah. um it also brings another change in the composition of the unit as german manpower struggles become more severe Christian Ingrau White writes, quote, Starting in July 1943, the Sonderenheit received large contingents of delinquents of a different kind. The idea was not new. In early spring, March 28, Himmler had ordered that Germans of the Reich and all men of the class of 1901 and later living in an irregular situation within the general government who have no military training or assignment and who have avoided the draft for years, arrested in a general government sweep, must be gathered and assigned to the penal battalions of the Durlwanger unit. Now, what that means is he's saying all of the men of eligible age who have not been serving in the military because they're some sort of criminal are going to be sent directly to the Durlwanger unit. 
And mm. these guys are all, they're all born between 1893 and 1921. Most of them have been imprisoned as a social individuals or professional criminals. Mm. Um, that's about half of these new guys are just professional criminals, people who had committed burglary, who had stolen purses. Um, and then often, most often for armed robbery, assault, manslaughter, murder, like, like mostly bad, about half of these guys are like violent crime guys, yeah. right? But there's also a bunch of people who get brought into this unit whose crimes are being asocial. Now, this does include petty criminals, but it also means just like homeless people, right? You're living on the street, you know? Yeah. You're asocial. Uh, unemployed people who like can't get a job, people who are mentally disabled, right? Who have some sort of like mental thing that makes them unable to like work a, a right. job. Feeble-minded, right? Um, there are some people who the Germans consider to be psychopathic, but don't have a, an extensive criminal record. All these people get put in there. Now, beginning in late 1944, with shortages even more severe of manpower, Himmler, Gottlieb Berger, and Durlwanger decide to expand the number of eligible men for the unit to include not just those guys we talked about, but also political prisoners who have been held in Nazi concentration camps. Huh. And now the ranks of this SS unit start to swell with former anti-fascists, mostly yeah. com communists who had been locked away, who had been in concentration camps for years, get put into the Durlwanger unit. Historian Peter Klausch refers to the unit during this period as consisting of, quote, anti-fascists in SS uniform. Huh. Yeah, it's, this is, we are getting into one of the bleaker parts of the story. Yeah. Now. Klausch is overstating the matter a bit. These guys are never the majority of the unit, right? The majority of the unit is like violent criminals and stuff um, and members of other military units who had gotten in trouble, generally for rape or something. But a lot of the Durowanger unit are like former communists, men's who, men who had fought Nazis in the streets and been arrested for it, right? <laughs> and a lot of these guys take part in the slaughter of civilians with the Durowanger unit. This is the only and very specific instance in which the right-wingers are like, Antifa is the real fascist. Is yeah, like, th these, this one group of guys. Now, yeah, yeah, they're the exception that proves is, the rule. It is more complicated than that because a lot of these guys, they're looking at like, well, we don't know what this unit's doing, right? Because if you're in right. a fucking concentrate, you don't know what they're doing in Belarus. Yeah. You just know, oh, I can get out and they're going to give me a gun. I can find a way to get away. I can desert and join the Red right. Army, right? And yeah. about 100 of these guys do, right? They get over there and as soon as they can, they desert and they fight for the Russian army, right? Yeah. Um, and like those guys... Fine. Let's you do whatever you got to do to get out of a concentration camp. Yeah, I'm not no, going to judge it. you. You don't know what these guys are doing. Um, but a significant number of these dudes don't leave. Even when like the war turns against them and they're surrounded and being annihilated, they fight to death with to the death with their comrades. That's not an insignificant number of these anti-fascists or Damn. former anti-fascists. It's like some Stockholm syndrome shit right there. Yeah. And this is all it's hard to say exactly. Some of it's probably they just, you know, these folks have become their comrades. Some of it maybe just there wasn't an ex a chance to get away. It's it's a nasty war, right? People's sure. options are limited. And we're already in, this is pretty complex moral territory, but it gets gnarlier. As you're surely aware, Matt, homosexuality is illegal in the Third Reich. However, many gay men, particularly soldiers caught engaging in homosexual sex, aren't sent to concentration camps. Instead, these are some of the guys who get put in penal battalions, right? Wow. So a decent number, the whole time this brigade is active, a decent number of the guys going in, are a lot. it's a mix of like guys who have just committed rape and guys who are like having homosexual sex and get caught. Wow. Now, 
Hans-Peter Klauch says that the hope here was to push these men back to the right path via exposure to violence. You straighten them out by making them yeah, fight with yeah. these, these real hard customers, right? Yeah. Um, they also didn't want to, they didn't want Germans who were being drafted to think that if they just like fucked a dude, they'd get out of military service. Right. Yeah. Right. That was the other thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stop gonna, fucking dudes in hopes yeah. of getting out of military <laughs> Look, service. Look, it'll just be worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to quote next from a Council of Europe paper titled Queer in Europe During the Second World War. Quote, The Wehrmacht preferred to, to retrain homosexuals rather than exclude them. Franz Siedler adds that even emasculated men were still fit for military service as long as they were worthy of serving. It was not desirable to dispense emasculated men from their military obligations. From 1944, when Germany was experiencing huge and growing losses on the Eastern Front, it was decided to resort to the forced incorporation of homosexuals interned in concentration camps. As Schlagdenhaufen describes in his contribution, a number of testimonies show that this political strategy was seen as a last hope. The historian Rainier Hofschlitt has retraced the career of Heinz F., one of the last homosexuals to have been forced into the army. On May 1st, 1945, Eight days before the capitulation of Nazi Germany, he joined the Wehrmacht under duress. And a lot, again, how you want to morally judge the men who make the decision to join a unit like the Daryl Wanger Brigade or who are made to join it to avoid yeah. life in a camp because... Like, I don't know. I'm a podcast host. I'm not going to parse all this right. out for you. Yeah. But this yeah, is yeah. a thing that happens, right? This is part yeah. of the history of World War II. And it's Crazy. fucking art gnarly. It's um, not. There was a fucking, by the end there, it sounds like a rainbow coalition of bastards, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. They just, and they were, I'm sorry, they were retraining the the gay um, yeah. soldiers, like, into straightness or into being uh, like, into straightness, right? The idea was that, like, well, <laughs> you know what makes they were people doing conversion straight? therapy? Yeah, is massacre. Yeah, their conversion therapy was like, go massacre this village with Oscar. Yeah. Um, God. <laughs> Do something straight, like yeah. killing innocent yeah. people terribly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's that's basically what's happening. Yeah. In total, the Durlwanger Brigade spent 53 months in Belarus, during which we know they killed at least 30,000 people, most of whom were women and children. During this massacre, they'd expanded from a small commando unit to a regiment of roughly 2,000 men. So that's the death toll so far, right? 30,000 people. And this and, is like this is this is the death toll of people. This isn't like a, in one specific camp because like usually you hear numbers like this and you start thinking like oh this is yeah. we, we got a death camp going. No, this Th is this is a roving band of bastards. Yeah, yeah who are yeah. going around doing murder. Who have just emptied a big chunk of the Belarusian countryside. Yeah, people, right. Like that's what they're doing. And again, it might have been significantly more than thirty thousand. Yeah. As the Russian advance began to push the German army westward, the Durlwanger Brigade was sent back to Poland. When the Polish underground took control of parts of their former capital, Nazi Germany redeployed badly needed forces to crush the city. Durlwanger and his men were front and center. Their brutality was so intense that it stunned many of the soldiers they fought alongside. One of these men was an 18-year-old sapper named Schenk, temporarily attached to the SS for the operation. He later wrote this, quote, I would now like to describe the assault on the hospital. As usual, rushed to the objective, grenades, and then, after they exploded, we went in. I was about to fire, but I heard, don't shoot, from the inside. What do I do? I signaled to my comrades 20 meters away to cover me. I ordered the Poles to open the door and come out with their hands up. 
Inside, I heard snatches of conversation, some in Polish, some in German. The door opened slowly, and a Red Cross nurse stuck out a white flag. My comrades came up and we went in, bayonets fixed. A Polish officer, a doctor, and 15 Polish Red Cross nurses surrendered the hospital. The Germans asked us not to hurt the Poles. Then the SS arrived. They immediately executed all the Polish wounded and attacked the nurses, who were soon stripped and raped. We were pushed out the other door of the hospital. When we could come back that night, the SS had relieved us. There was tumult on the execution grounds. Soldiers from all the units, SS, Ukrainians, were playing flute and singing. And there I saw something so frightening and horrible, I can hardly describe it 50 years later. The SS were pushing the nurses, naked, their hands on their heads, to the gallows. They had cut a short tunic for the doctor, had put a rope around his neck, and pushed him towards a gallows where some ten civilians were already hanging. The crowd laughed and shouted. Some soldiers were protesting, but they were drowned out. I saw we could do nothing, so I kept my remarks for our headquarters. <sighs> Bro. Pretty bad fucking, war crimes. Honestly, dude, at this point, I'm starting to think that Nazis were bad. That's, yeah, that is the <laughs> unavoidable conclusion when you, when you try to... damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty bad, pretty bad guys. That, yeah, that's the Duralwanger yeah, yeah. unit. Yeah, those Not, are the guys raping and murdering nurses. Um, Jesus, fuck. Shank makes it clear that whenever the enemy were actual soldiers with actual guns, the indisciplined, sloppy viciousness of the Duralwanger of Duralwanger's men was as much a hindrance as a help in like real combat. And here's All another right. excerpt from his recollections. Quote, Then the reinforcements arrived. The SS. It was the Duralwanger Penal Battalion. Its soldiers wore no marks of rank. They had drunk a lot and weren't sober. They immediately attacked the Polish positions. They, they charged the houses, yelling, Hurrah! Just in front of the houses, they fell under Polish fire. They died by dozens. Many were wounded. They didn't yes. gain a meter of ground. Yes. Their leader was frenzied. We then advanced together with the SS under tank protection. A few meters in front of the buildings, the tank was hit and exploded. A soldier's helmet flew into the air. <laughs> Beautiful. So that's that part's funny. That I part's good. That. That's good. Oh, yes. What's not good is that the Poles don't win the Warsaw yes, Ghetto they, Uprising, no, right? Uh, and the violence that follows is a slaughter almost unparalleled in the history of on armed conflict. Today, mm. it's known as the Wola Massacre. Rather than go into detail about every crime against humanity committed by these men, I am going to find an accurate summary of their activities I found in an article by Peter Preskar. Quote, the Duralwanger Brigade reeked of vodka and death. They slaughtered innocent Poles regardless of age and sex. Duralwanger, wearing a black coat, walked in the rear, screamed orders, and shot anyone who lagged behind. The Duralwanger Brigade, in cooperation with the equally sadistic Kaminsky Militia, massacred 40,000 unarmed men, women, and children in the Wola district of Warsaw. They did all that in less than two weeks. God Duralwang damn. Yeah. Durowanger burned multiple hospitals with patients inside. The hospital nurses were whipped, gang-raped, and hanged naked while popular German music was playing. At one point, Durowanger ordered his men to execute 500 young children. He wanted his troops to save their bullets, so they did the bulk of their work with rifle butts and bayonets. Holy fuck, bro. On another occasion, one of Durowanger's men took a pretty young woman. He cut her blouse open with a bayonet and then raped her. Afterwards, he cut her from belly to neck. So we're going to we're going to leave that be in terms of descriptions of Nazi war crimes. But like when I say these guys are like the worst Nazis, they're the worst. like they're the worst of like this is. Yeah, they're the pretty, fucking pretty, pretty bad guys. 
How do you do? How long you been doing this podcast, man? Like four years, five years, something like that. I mean, God damn, dude. How do you, is your house, how's your head? How's your mental health? Yeah, you know, it's like you, you get, you get a lot of stories like this. You read, honestly, the ones that are like, I, I, I don't know, like, yeah, the thing that I think about when I when I read stories like this in terms of like visual things is um because for the reporting that I did, I had to watch the Christchurch massacre video a number of times. Oh and, my uh, good God. That's the thing that I think about the most when I think about like what kind of dude yes. does this and and the way in which this kind of like yeah. The very the, specific sadism, the very specific yeah. like I mean, just the the evil that veers into an illness type of like crimes where you're just like, you know, I don't want to obviously, I'm not trying to minimize it by saying that this is like, you know, uh, obviously some sort of illness, but it just, you can't, you can't otherwise explain this level of sadism. I, I get why you have guys. And we talked about Tolkien last episode a little bit. I get why you get guys like Tolkien who see pretty Mm -hmm. terrible things who view evil as something supernatural to right. a certain extent, right? Because right. seeing something like this, like it all, there's there's a degree of to which it like, I don't know, there's 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 something there that it is it is hard. Maybe we're programmed to right to right yeah, to like and maybe it's a defensive thing. You don't want to believe that it because it is. I think just people are capable of all sorts of fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does feel in the same way that like, if you've ever fought a wildfire, it feels like there's some sort of intelligence to the wildfire. Right. Um, the, it, it feels when you, when you like read about cruelty like this, you almost, it is hard not to feel like there's something there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you look into it that way, I don't know. Not that that means there is anything, but it, no, it, it no, is but hard not it. to feel like that sometimes. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's you understand how someone could, yeah, um, look at look, look at you know see these this level of atrocities and it fucks with their reality because yeah. their reality is based on kind of this like uh logical emotionally logical foundation and framework with narratives with stories there's a reason you know an action and a reaction that was and then seeing something this sadistic and going like this is otherworldly because yeah. this doesn't make sense. It doesn't, this is uh, who it's that hope you, you would hope no one could enjoy something like this. And you would hope that other people would be like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah. But to see it in mass is in, and up close and personal has <laughs> got to be, and I read about orcs and wizards and shit too, dude. I feel like <laughs> this is why I talk about the Sopranos and the wire yeah. because this is too <laughs> sad. It is. It is. I mean, worth noting that like there are Nazis who try to stop this. Like yeah. <laughs> members, I, to to give you an idea of how bad this guy is, members of the SS during the cleansing of the Warsaw Ghetto reprimand this guy for cruelty. God. <laughs> like, that is, I don't, I don't know on like the bad guy CV. Yeah, I don't know what else you could put above that. But like the SS in Warsaw was like, Jesus Christ, yeah. this yeah. guy is unhinged. Yeah. Wow. So he, he and his unit are reprimanded and they are removed to Hungary, where they help to put down the Slovak national uprising. And they again kill thousands. Just terrible bloodshed. I feel like we have 
not to, I don't want to like that. Not that that's not also an important story, but like, I feel like I've read enough stories of horrible. Crimes. Sure. Like you, yeah. you, you can, you can get what they probably did over yeah, here. Right? Yeah. More atrocities uh, beyond your yeah. capability to yeah. even imagine. Yeah. So, you know, that happens. Uh, and it's here that the story of the Durlwanger Brigade starts to come to an end. During an action against the Red Army, Oscar gets shot through the chest. Now, he lives. We're not done yet. Of course. Don't worry, though, Matt. This is actually going to be fun. You're going to like this last part. Yeah. Hell yeah. So he gets separated from his unit because he's hurt pretty bad. Um, And now Oscar is not a dumb man. And he's pretty obvious at this point, 1945. We're not going to win this thing, right? We're not, we're not going to, there's like one battle where like 15,000 rockets land on his troops positions. He's like, oh yeah, this probably isn't going to go well for us. Oh boy. So he, he deserts uh, and he goes into hiding near his own, own old hometown. Most of his soldiers die fighting. Some of them get captured. Some of them do a lot, uh, you know, do desert. Um, So there's cases of like anti-fascists who deserted and joined the red army and wind up fighting there. Anyway, um, and this is a story that does thankfully have, I'm not going to call it a happy ending because this is a nightmare, but it's close to a happy ending as you are going to get in a story about the SS and genocide. Because okay. unlike a lot of the guys, the Einsatzgruppe, a lot of the guys who are like architects of the Holocaust who escape, Oscar does not escape. Yes. He gets captured by the French occupation forces at the end of the war. And they put him in a jail and <laughs> guess who's running that jail? Oh, fuck. I don't know. Former <laughs> the, members of the Polish resistance. Oh, so guys yeah, who had been duh. fighting his guys in Warsaw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and those guys are like, wait, we got who? Oh, oh, yeah. He's not. He is not making it to trial. <laughs> like, no, this guy's not seeing a courtroom. We're oh, we're going we, to handle. handle yeah, we're going to take care of this. <laughs> So we have an account of what happens next from another Nazi who's Daryl Wanger's cellmate, uh, right? And here's what he writes, quote, In front of the cell door, there was a French soldier, a guard in a red kepi. Nevertheless, when I was arrested, I did not see the Frenchman, but rather armed and uniformed Poles. On the next day came a 16-year-old Jew from Ebersbach, Solgau County, where he lived, and they let him punch us in the face, which he did under the <laughs> which he did under the supervision of the Poles until he got tired. Now, I'm going to be like, if we're being totally honest, this is legally a war crime. I'm also fine with it. I'm I'm completely fine with it. Yeah. This is one of them look the other way type things. Yeah. Let's let's let this boy whose family was massacred hit these Nazis as much as he fucking wants. (laughs) I love it. Punch in the face is just a great, it's a great way to start this. Mm -hmm. It's just like, all right, first we're going to have the 16 year old punch you in the face till till he's all tuckered out. Let him work some stuff out, right? He's he's got some demons. Let him exercise them here. (laughs) Quote, I'm going to continue now. We returned to the cell with our faces completely shattered. I myself had been beaten on the same day by the Poles, and only because I forgot, refused to shout three times, I am a German pig. (laughs) Durlwanger and Munch, who's another Nazi, were pulled out of the cell into the corridor every night and brutally beaten. I heard blows and terrible screams. In daylight, I would see bleeding open wounds on the faces of Munch and Durlwanger, and their entire bodies were covered with bleeding welts. Munch and Derelwanger were taken from their cells separately three times on the night of 4th to 5th June 1945 and beaten in the corridor. After they returned to their cell for the third time, they could no longer speak or stand. After a short time, the guards came to the cell again and ordered them to get up and follow them. 
Neither Munch nor Durlwanger could lift themselves. <laughs> then the guards began to strike them with rifle butts in their heads, so that their heads yeah. turned into indiscernible bloody pulp. Then yeah. they started kicking them in the stomachs. After that, the guards left both of them lying in the cell unconscious. I am surprised that according to the registration of death performed by the French Commandant, Durlwanger had died only on the 7th of June, 1945. So, you don't get this often with Nazi war criminals, but yeah, that's about the right way for that to end. Oh, that's wonderful. That yeah. is oh, just like the catharsis, because yes, you do not get this often. It's always no. like they go to fucking, no. you know, they go to Argentina and hide out and then they got to yeah. be fucking like no. found. This or is, they kill themselves yeah. like a bunch of bitches. No. And, you know, we don't get that, like, no. you know, getting just beat to death yeah victims of his crimes spend days beating him to death and oh, he dies miserably in a cell it's about i don't know again not justice not even legal but like what do you want <laughs> you yeah. know like what, yeah. what, what what do you want from these people other than to do that to him and i love I, that they they whipped out all the classics you know they were yeah. just like the the sadistic classics the punching the kicking the pistol whipping you yeah. know it must have hurt like double knowing that like while he's being beaten to death, he's like, they're not even innovating new ways of doing this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're not even building some sort of elaborate Rube Goldberg machine, which kicks me in the nuts till I bleed to death. It's yeah. like, nah, dude, we're just going to fucking go nah. ham on you right yeah. now. Yeah, we're just going to, yeah, the old stuff. So The old stuff. That's the story of Oscar Durlwanger. Um, oh. Wow. Wow. Boy, <laughs> boy howdy. <laughs> what a piece of shit there we go yeah don't like them it is mm -hmm. thoroughly nice to like you know have one where they actually you know beat get, some beat one of yeah, the, where they normally, get their, yeah i would say mm -hmm. statistically speaking a lot of the times it's, and they died at the ripe old age of way too fucking long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. No. They died comfortably in their bed. It's thinking really about upsetting. other things. Yeah. This is, and I, I can imagine a heartwarming, it's like those Polish guys are like, wait, that's fucking Oscar Durlwanger? Yeah. You know, there's that there's that kid came into town the other day, a whole family got wiped out by Durlwangers. Bring him in here. Yeah, yeah. Bring, yeah. bring, oh, bring, God, bring, bring him gift. in here. <laughs> yeah. What a gift. We're going to we're going to help him move past this. <laughs> oh man, I love it. That is like mm -hmm. that that is well, for that for that kid must have mm -hmm. been just it's like I mean, I don't Hanukkah's know that it come helped, early. But I I hope it helped, right? Yeah, like I, 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 I know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like don't know to, that that makes it any better, but I, I but hope I can it did. build a narrative in my head in which that does feel yeah. better for me to hear that. So I, I, I would like to this. assume it helped. I, I certainly don't know if it helped that kid, but sure. I can't imagine it hurt. No, <laughs> like, no. Yeah. You're not you. You are not turned into a worse person because you punch Oscar Durlwanger while he's in prison. I don't no. believe that. <laughs> no, no, that is uh, he's doing God's work right there. He's doing, he's doing God's work, work right there. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. they got it. it at the end there. The story really came together. <laughs> yeah, I love I it. I wish it, it had started with him being beaten to death in a cell. <laughs> but oh, yeah. all of these guys, you know, start with them being beat to death you know it makes you kind of a little bit go like nah the germans should have kept hitting their children <laughs> you know it was all that you know uh the progressive lady being like we shouldn't do that well look where that leaded well all right i mean 
I will say the, the 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 point that that paper is making that we didn't maybe get into enough detail is that like <laughs> the way in which Durlwanger's generation was raised kind of hinged on that when the not the generation the Nazis raise up that are like the young soldiers mm-hmm. are trained to are like it is about hardness and physical discipline and sure. stuff. I don't know though like who who actually knows right that guy Shank who was eighteen years old is raised under that system and clearly is like well this is obviously wrong and evil and I am on the wrong yeah. side and I realize that now as a as a boy um yeah. whereas daryl wanger grows up in a more progressive age and is like the worst person imaginable yeah. so yeah. i don't know what to take out about that we don't have the problem is we don't actually have enough detail about his childhood to like make more conclusions about what was going on and whether that yeah. impacted it or if he was just just an asshole yeah <laughs> sounds like an asshole um sounds like uh i mean yeah I'm just going to be imagining. World War One didn't help. Yeah, yeah that's the <laughs> thing about World War One is it fucked some people up. It really, it sure. didn't, it didn't make him better. I think we can right. conclude that. But um, to be fair to the rest of the veterans yeah. of World War One, uh, they didn't <laughs> yeah. do the same yeah. shit. J.R.L. Tolkien wrote about hobbits afterwards. Yeah, that's yeah. the motherfucker wrote about hobbits. He <laughs> yeah. was just like, what if there's these cute little yeah. Irish kids? Yeah, and all that, they do is, uh, you know, smoke uh, weed and find rings of power. Yeah, same war, same battlefields. One guy winds up doing the worst things I've ever read about, and the other yeah. guy is like, what if there were little people who like to eat four breakfasts? That seems nice. I'm going to write about one fighting a dragon. Yeah, what if there were elves, and they're all hot? Yeah, That'd be fucking sick. hot. Yeah, like a, a razor, they're just the hottest people, and then mm-hmm. there's also the dwarves, and they're funny. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, good for Tolkien, man. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> really, that's what the that's the message here is J.R.O. Tolkien was pretty good at processing trauma. Exactly. He was very good at processing it. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all safely say that he would not give a fuck that uh, Amazon cast black elves. He would I, be like, I, I don't cool. think he would care. He would hate the show, but not for that reason. Right, right, right. <laughs> he would hate the show for a thousand other reasons. A thousand, a thousand reasons you would never understand in your yeah, entire yeah. life. Exactly. If you read every one of his books, some of them would be like, well, I don't What are you going on about, John? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, the episode's Matt. over. You want to plug your shit? <laughs> I do. I do. If you've stuck around this long, then you must be excited for a plug. Uh, I do a wonderful The Wire Rewatch podcast called Pod Yourself The Wire. Um, You should listen to it and you should give us five stars in review. I just want that. I just want this one to have all the reviews. I don't even care that if anyone listens to it, but it's like, you know, when I go into the Apple podcast store, I see like people, they got like 4,000 reviews and, you know, 5,000. And I'm like, I want to be one of those podcasts. So Mm -hmm. do that for us. And then also listen to it. Review bomb and listen to Matt's podcast. You can say anything in the review. uh, As long as it's five stars, you can be like, oh, Matt, it's a great podcast. Although he keeps talking about feet. Feel free. <laughs> Mention feet. I don't Mention care. Feet. Just five them. stars. He loves them. I do. All right. Well, you can check that out. You can read my book after the revolution. Just type that in with AK Press or or just type it into like whatever book buying website you use. You will find it and can get an ebook or a physical copy. And, you know, as you go out into the world after this harrowing week, be the 16-year-old punching a Nazi in the face that you God want to see right. in the world, right? Hell yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, 
visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.